Welcome to the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Gerald Borgay. Welcome, Valley boys and girls, to another episode of the Valley of the Suns podcast, part of the Fansided Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gerald Borgay. And we are coming to you late Thursday night, um, just a day after the Phoenix Suns secured their first playoff berth officially since 2010. And uh, they did it with a big win over the Clippers. So this win basically assures them they get a top six spot no matter what. They could lose the rest of the way and they won't have to worry about the play-in. They got a top six slot. um, And the one seed is actually within reach if they beat Utah on Friday, which by the time you're hearing this will be today. Um, And that win was big because it not only moved them within one game of Utah in this, you know, showdown where if they win, they now take over the one seed, but it also put some space between themselves and the Clippers for that two spot. Um, And, you know, heading into this jazz game, it's a very winnable game for the Suns. Obviously it's at home. Uh, They have a day of rest this time and Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell are both out. Um, You know, Mike Conley's dealing with a hamstring injury and Donovan Mitchell sprained his ankle. He rolled his ankle a few weeks ago, so he's still out. Um, But they're not a team to be taken lightly either. The Jazz just beat the Kings by like 48 or 49 without both of them the other night. So um, not an opponent you can overlook. They are still one of the most complete teams in basketball, even without their starting backcourt. Um, but it is a very winnable game for the Suns, um, especially considering what's on the line. If they win, they move into that one spot in the West um, by virtue of their 3-0 tiebreaker. They'll have the same record as the Jazz if they beat the Jazz on Friday, but they have beaten them. They will have beaten them three times if they win this game. So, And even if they lose the game, you know, they still own that tiebreaker, but that would put two games between the Suns and the Jazz, and that'd probably be insurmountable uh, with the way that they're still playing without their two uh, two lead guards. But before we get into the meat of our show, uh, which we have a good show lined up, we're going to talk about the five reasons that I think the Suns team could win a championship this year, as well as four big obstacles that could prevent them from reaching that goal that would have felt crazy heading into this season. Um, And then we're going to talk about the season finale of Invincible, which if you watch that, your head is still spinning like mine is. Uh, It was kind of a crazy 24 hours for me emotions-wise because uh, Wednesday night, the Suns, you know, secure this playoff berth. This is going to be the first time for me covering a playoff game. And I've been covering this team since 2015. Um, so there was the high of that. And then there was the incredible rude awakening of the season finale of invincible on Amazon. So we're going to go through all of that, but before we do that on a sentimental note, I just want to thank everyone who has been tuning in, not just to this podcast, but who's been reading my writing on the suns or following me on Twitter about the suns for these last six plus years now. Um, I know I'm not a fan of the team, but I do want them to do well because after the teams that I've covered over these last six years, it's so much more fun to cover winning basketball. Um, Not only are the guys more willing to talk to you and give you more thoughtful answers, 
rather than just having to answer questions over and over about why they're losing. Um, but it, it's just so much better to cover winning basketball. And it really stokes creativity from a content production standpoint. And I know I'm not the only one. We have a lot of great Suns podcasts out there. A lot of great Suns writers, beat writers who are doing some of their best work right now. And it's not a coincidence. Um, so, you know, from, from the draft bus to the different head coaches, the constant turnover, Ryan McDonough, you know, the Morai twins, towels being thrown at the head coach, technical fouls left and right, you know, 19 and 21 win seasons, double digit losing streaks. It's been an 11 long years since the Suns have been in the playoffs. And it's been a long six years for me personally on the beat. It honestly got to the point where, you know, when I first started covering the Suns, I was two years out of college and I was living my dream. I was covering NBA basketball, which is all I've ever wanted to do. Um, but it, it, there were some definite dark days in there, you know, that that 48 point beat down against the Portland Trailblazers on opening night a few years back, um, you know, double digit losing streaks, just uh, you know, Goran Dragic asking out. That was literally my my first season on the job was when Brandon Knight came to town and they lost something like nine of their last 11 or 10 of their last 11 that season or something. Um, it's been a long time coming for this team to just make it back to the playoffs at all, which shouldn't feel like some remarkable achievement. You know, Chris Paul said it himself, like 16 teams make the playoffs every year. That's more than half of the league. And the Suns couldn't do it for 11 years. Um, you know, they had that one season in 2013-14 that was the last time it was enjoyable watching Suns basketball. And that team only won 48 games and, and missed the playoffs. So this has been an incredible year for the Suns. It's been a lot of fun just watching the momentum bubble over, pun intended, uh, from the Orlando bubble into what we're seeing now. Uh, it's been incredible. I've been there through all of this as many of you have. So I just wanted to thank you guys for sticking it out, uh, for sticking with me, for continuing to be fans of this team. Cause obviously without you guys, there would be no podcasts. There would no be, there wouldn't be an NBA career writing about the league or doing podcasts about it. So thank you all for staying with it. Um, and you guys have earned this. It's been a long time coming. Uh, and it was awesome to see how happy everyone was on Suns Twitter after they secured that playoff berth. But let's get into the meat of the show and let's just talk about why we think this Suns team, and it sounds crazy to be saying this because heading into the year, I think I had them at like 41 or 42 wins, something like that. And I had them as like a top five, top six team in the West, but not not competing for the one seed. But let's talk about the five reasons that the Suns could conceivably win it all this year. And the first one is their performance against elite teams, which is not as big an indicator of championship uh, likelihood as you would think. If you look at the teams over the last few years who have won it, um, their record against the teams with, you know, the top net ratings, the top records, um, all that kind of stuff is usually pretty middle of the road. It's not fantastic. A lot of teams lose to good teams. That's just how it is. But the Suns have been phenomenal against the best teams in the league. And if you're a team that doesn't have a lot of playoff experience, that is a good sign at least that hopefully those experiences of beating good teams can carry over to the playoffs. So the Suns are a league best 22 and nine 
in their 31 games against teams that are at or above 500. That's the best mark in the league. Um, they're winning 71% of their games against teams at or above 500. Um, and they're actually 11 and six against the NBA's top seven teams outside of themselves. Um, and those are the teams that I consider legitimate title contenders. Uh, one of one of them, not so much anymore, thanks to an injury, but uh, that includes the Jazz, the Nets, the Clippers, the Nuggets, the 76ers, the Bucks, and the Lakers. Um, all seven of those teams could conceivably win the title this year. Um, Nuggets, maybe not so much now with Jamal Murray being hurt, but you know, they've still been rolling with him out uh, since the Aaron Gordon trade. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but um, the Suns are 11 and six against those fellow seven title contenders, which bodes well. Uh, we should note that they're 0 and two against the Brooklyn Nets. They're one and two against the Clippers and they're one and two against Denver. But again, Denver doesn't strike me as much of a threat. One of those Clippers games was on the second night of a back-to-back when they had, I think, Utah the night before, just a brutal back-to-back, and that was on the road. Um, and then the Brooklyn Nets are just really good. One of those games was a, was a kind of fluke loss that the Suns have experienced this year where they give up a double-digit lead to an inferior opponent. And I say inferior in this instance because Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were out. It was just James Harden. Uh, and he went to work on them. So it's a little concerning. They're 0-2 against the Nets, and the Clippers are a bad matchup for them, especially when they're fully healthy. But 11-6 uh, and six against the NBA's other top seven teams, the teams that I consider title contenders, that's pretty good. Um, and they've, they've risen to the challenge. We've seen them kind of drop their um, – their quality of play against inferior opponents sometimes. I think this is very much a team that's ready for the postseason. They need challenges to stay engaged. They know that they're good. So they're ready for those challenges, and it bodes well that they have risen to the occasion for those challenges. Uh, reason number two, the title race is wide open this year, especially in the West, uh, and that's largely due to injuries, but also – the Suns are a damn good team and they can compete with anybody in a seven game series. I have a hard time seeing them lose four times in a seven game series, unless another team just plays incredible lights out basketball or the lack of playoff experience comes back to haunt them. Um, you know, you look at the jazz, Mike Conley is currently dealing with a hamstring issue. Donovan Mitchell is going to be trying to come back from that right ankle issue before the playoffs start. They're not hundred percent yet. And even when those two guys are 100%, I think the Suns are a better team. If you're looking at a, a head-to-head matchup with the Jazz, I would pick the Suns in that series. I think it would be a, a very good series, an entertaining and hard-fought series. Maybe it goes a full seven games, but I would pick the Suns in that series. Um, and not just because they're 2-0, and potentially 3-0, and depending on what happens Friday night. Um, you look at the Clippers and – Paul George is not injured and he's a legitimate Suns killer. You look at his numbers against the Suns this season and it's been absolutely absurd. Um, I think ever since Devin Booker hit that shot in his face uh, at the bubble and then all of the, the talk about, you know, what they were saying back and forth in their first meeting of the season, he's been a Suns killer ever since then. But pandemic P is a real thing and it's an issue that the Clippers might have to face again this year. He just disappears in big playoff moments uh, big playoff games rather not just moments but entire games he'll just not shoot the ball well um, so I'm curious to see how those would mesh in the head-to-head against the Suns because he's been an absolute Suns killer but he also has this tendency to totally vanish in big playoff moments so 
there's that to consider. Um, Patrick Beverly is also dealing with a hand fracture. He won't be back until like right before the playoffs begin or potentially at some point in the first round. Um, as it stands right now, the Suns wouldn't see them until if the Suns stay in the second spot, they might see them in the second round. If they move into the first spot, it would take the Nuggets catching them and dropping the Clippers to fourth to see them in the second round. But, um, you know, Patrick Beverly will be rusty and be working his way back from a hand injury if they do see the Clippers in the second round. And Sergi Baca has been dealing with lower back tightness. He's He hasn't played since March 14th. It's been a month and a half since he last played. Uh, and even Kawhi Leonard has a sore right foot right or a sore foot right now. So, um, you know, I don't know the extent of that injury, but these are all things to keep an eye on, especially because we've only got like nine or 10 games left for most teams in this regular season. And then it's playoff time. Um, so there's not a lot of time to get right and get that continuity, get in a groove again, especially when guys have missed considerable time. Then you look at the Nuggets, Jamal Murray, obviously done for the season. I wouldn't count the Nuggets out yet because Nikola Jokic has played like an MVP. They've got way more playoff experience. So in a head-to-head -head with the Suns, that's still a tough matchup, even without Jamal Murray. But it's much more manageable because Jamal Murray has been, like Paul George, an absolute Suns killer, and he's done for the year. Um, and I, I think the Suns, you know, those two Nuggets games that they lost, that was earlier in the season when they kept dropping winnable games and they've since turned it around on that front um, in almost every respect. So uh, I'd, I'd still pick the Suns over the Nuggets. And then you look at the Lakers, obviously Anthony Davis dealing with that calf issue. He's back now, but he's been bad um, while he's been trying to shake off the rust in these first four or five games. He's averaging 16 points and five rebounds in like 27 minutes per game. Uh, he's only shot 39% from the floor, so he's clearly shaking off the rust, and he doesn't have a lot of time to do so before the playoffs are here. Um, and then LeBron James, he's dealing with a high ankle sprain, and we don't know when he's going to be back. He's still not back yet. We don't know when he's going to return. The playoffs start in like three weeks, um, so he's not going to have a lot of time to work off the rust and get everyone back on the same page. Um, he might have less time for this than he did in the bubble when they revamped and they had eight games at least before the postseason started. He's going to have less time than that. Um, and, you know, they, they had a pretty easy road to the finals last year. That might not be the case this year. They're in that five spot. They could drop to sixth if they keep losing games and if the Mavs keep winning. Um, so they, 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 could, they could have the Clippers in the first round or they could have a Nuggets team that's still very good and they could be trying to work their way through injury. So the Lakers might not even make it out of the first round if a team catches, if a very good team catches them at the worst possible moment where they're still trying to shake off rust. Um, you know, a fully healthy Lakers team is, is maybe the title favorite. I don't know, either them or Brooklyn, but this could be a scenario where it's a perfect storm created for a team like the Suns that if they stay healthy, like they have for most of the season, they could capitalize off that. And there's no shame. I know a lot of people want to beat teams at their best and I get that, but if you can win a championship, you don't give a flying fuck how healthy your opponent is. You beat your opponent, you take the championship and everybody else that hates on your path to the finals or says it was easy or you got lucky because guys were out you know, let them say what they want. You're, you're, <laughs> you're cheering for a team that now has a championship. Doesn't matter how you get there or who you have to play. You know, the Suns have a realistic path to the finals, especially with all these injuries that they're dealing with. Um, 
throughout the West right now. Reason number three, the Suns have two reliable closers and they're losing how to, they're learning how to close out games. So Devin Booker and Chris Paul are obviously those two reliable closers. Uh, and we've seen it in games against the Knicks and Clippers the last two games. Um, you know, CP3 just absolutely took over down the stretch and hit some absurd shots to close out both of those teams. Um, but Book played well all game long and made that a luxury for Chris. And that's something that CP3 mentioned himself actually was saying, you know, it's easy for him to do that when teams also have to worry about Book, who's been playing well for most of the game. Like Book is a killer. We saw it late against the Clippers game, or was it the Knicks? I think it was the Clippers where they doubled CP3 because he was going off. I think it was the Clippers. Uh, He had 15 points in the fourth quarter and they doubled Chris and they left Devin Booker. And that's, that's a real pick your poison environment where you're choosing between you know, cyanide and cyanide, like it's like it's poison either way. Um, you can't leave Devin Booker open and he had an easy drive to the, to the basket for a floater um, in clutch in crunch time moments. So that's big. Uh, and then the Suns are 21 and 11 in clutch games now. So they're trailing only the 76ers and nets in win percentage in crunch time minutes this season. Um, and even better since that eight and eight start when the Suns got off to, you know, that rough, rough start um, since then, which was, you know, if we're going back to January 8th, they're 17 and four in games that involve crunch time minutes, which NBA.com defines as the score within five points with uh, within the last five minutes of the game. So the Suns have a plus 1.2 point differential in crunch time minutes, which ranks eighth in the NBA Um, And they're a plus 37 overall, which is tied for seventh. But again, if you go from January 28th forward, if you discount that eight and eight start when they were, you know, trying to get everyone acclimated, all these new guys, um, they have the best point differential in crunch time minutes in the NBA. They're plus 3.4 and they are a plus 72 in 80 crunch time minutes. So they're nearly outscoring points by one point per crunch time minute since January 28th. And of course, that's the best mark in the NBA as well. Um, And it comes down to guys just making plays, guys getting stops and Chris Paul and Devin Booker taking over when they need to. Um, So if you look at Chris Paul, he's sixth in total clutch scoring. He's got 113 points on the season. He's shooting 47% in those scenarios. And he's a plus 21 overall in his 130 minutes. Um, but since that eight and eight start, he's been even better. He scored 79 points in just 74 crunch time minutes, and he's shooting 51% from the field, 43% from three and 85% from the free throw line. Um, he's been a plus 63 in his 74 crunch time minutes since January 28th. So just absurdly good masterful as dominant as you would expect from the point God based on the eye test, because he's just incredible with the game on the line. Um, Devin Booker hasn't been quite as good, but he's been better. Um, So on the season, he's 18th in the NBA in total clutch scoring. He's got 83 points. Um, He's only shooting 31.6% in those scenarios, but he's a plus 41 in 116 crunch time minutes, which is almost double what Chris Paul is. Um, And since that eight and eight start, he scored 64 crunch time points in 76 minutes. Uh, He's only shooting 36% from the field, but he is a plus 59 in those 76 minutes. So 
making plays, even if he's not always making shots. Um, and he's been better since that eight and eight start where it was very uh, tough sledding for the Suns in crunch time there for a little bit. Um, and, you know, part of that is just those two developing chemistry, like the book and CP3 lineups, they struggled early on, but their net rating is now up to plus 6.7. And it's actually plus 10.6 net rating since January 28th. Um, so they're learning how to close out games. It's not just Chris Paul and Devin Booker. All these guys are learning how to make big plays. If you think back to the Knicks game, Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson both hit big shots and kind of shrugged off shooting slumps for that whole uh, East Coast trip. So that was good to see. But they have guys that are capable of making big-time shots, and that's huge even for a team that's lacking playoff experience. They're getting plenty of practice, especially with all the bad teams that they let crawl back into the games they've gotten plenty of practice in crunch time um and then you look at their depth they've got a solid playoff rotation you know Dario Sharch is kind of in a funk and he needs to get healthy but he's been terrific all season for the most part campaign is an injection of energy and, and shooting in that backup role every time he comes in you know Cam Johnson also currently going through a bit of a shooting funk I think it has to do with the nasal fracture and having to wear the mask but He's still a reliable lights-out shooter. He's a difference maker off that bench, and he's an underrated defender. Um, and you only need eight or nine guys for the playoffs anyway. You know, Maybe Javon Carter can defend well enough and hit a, an open three here or there to get some minutes, but you know, Torrey Craig's defense and rebounding makes him a must-play in the playoffs, You know, especially if he can hit threes um, like he has been. Uh, he's just got an, an, a nose for the ball on the offensive boards. He can defend multiple positions. He, he's a guy that you want on your on the court for you to close out games with defensive stops. Um, and he's a guy who, if Sharich is banged up or not playing well, they can deploy him as a small ball five for certain stretches as well. So that's a that's a hidden key in Monty Williams' back pocket there. Um, but the Suns just have superior depth in the event of foul trouble or injuries, even guys like Frank Kaminsky or Langston Galway that can just come in there and give you minutes. If, if guys are in foul trouble or injured, like that's a huge advantage because sometimes you put in those second string or even third string guys in a pinch and, and they totally shit the bed. And I don't think anyone on the Suns would do that really. Um, so, you know, you look at that core rotation, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Jay Crowder, DeAndre Ayton, Cam Payne, Cam Johnson, and Torrey Craig, uh, and Dario Saric, you know, that's, a, that's a solid nine man core right there. Uh, and 10, if you include Javon Carter, it might have to shorten even more depending on who's playing well on a night to night basis, but that's a damn good playoff rotation. And a lot of teams don't have that on their side. Um, and then the fifth and final reason, they're just proficient in all the right areas. You know, the Suns are just a well-rounded, really good team that doesn't make a lot of mistakes and you have to beat them. Um, even though it doesn't feel like that, if you look at their body of work, uh, it's really the case. So obviously the Suns have the second best record in the NBA. They're on a 58 win pace. They could have the best record in the NBA if they beat the Jazz on Friday. Um, they're fourth in point differential plus 5.9. They're seventh in offensive rating. They're fifth in defensive rating. And that makes them only one of three teams in the NBA that's top 10 in both offensive and defensive rating. The other two are the Jazz and the Bucks. Um, they're fourth in net rating. They're first in assist to turnover ratio. 
which means they move the ball well and they don't turn it over, which makes sense because they're committing the fifth fewest turnovers per game in the NBA. Um, you know, they're top 10 in three-point percentage. They're ninth. They're fifth in true shooting percentage, which takes into account efficiency from three-point range and the free throw line. Um, and they're fifth in opponent three-point percentage, which means they limit their opponent's attempts um, to less efficient shots. And that's going to be huge in the playoffs, especially with a lot of teams that like to shoot threes. So they just don't make a lot of mistakes. They have a very versatile defense that's good at scrambling and recovering. Um, honestly, it might be too good because their point of attack defense could be better at times, but they're so good at recovering from it uh, that they just wreak havoc in that way. So the Suns are a legitimate title contender, and it's crazy to say that. I know that you know maybe they're benefiting from a wide open year. Maybe we're not talking about this if the Clippers and Lakers have been healthy all season or the Brooklyn Nets. Um, but they have a legitimate shot at a title, which is insane and very cool. So this first playoff run could be a lot of fun. However, in the interest of fairness, we should go over their potential obstacles and the reason why they might not win a title. And the first one is kind of obvious. It's let's just get it out in the open. I do think a healthy Lakers, Clippers, or Nets team might have a higher ceiling than the Suns team. And I really do believe that it's going to be damn hard to beat the Suns team four times out of seven. But, you know, if LeBron James and AD come back, that's LeBron James and AD. And that's still a damn good team. Uh, the Clippers, you know, Paul George has been a Suns killer. If he plays like he's been playing all season long, the Clippers might be the favorite to win the West just because of how good Paul George has been, how good Kawhi is. Um, they have a very complete team. They're well coached. Uh, they shoot the hell out of the three ball, especially from the corners, which is an area where the Suns give up a few too many. Um, it's just a bad matchup for the Suns. And then you look at the Nets, like what are you going to do against the Nets? We saw it the other day, and yes, that was in the middle of a brutal road trip on the East Coast, but you know they didn't even have James Harden, and Kyrie and KD absolutely lit the Suns up. And when they do that, there's not a lot you can do to stop them. Um, so if they play like that in a, in a playoff series, in a potential NBA final series, yeah, I mean, they have three legitimate superstars that can burn you, plus a lot of shooting. They got guys like Joe Harris. They've got guys that can really hurt you. So the Nets are just a damn good team. They're an offensive, you know, powerhouse, the likes of which we might have, we might not have seen, even with the Warriors included in that. Um, so they just might have higher ceilings than the Suns, and, and that's okay because the reality is not all of them are healthy right now, and, you know, that's all that really matters is who is healthy, who's on the floor for a seven-game series. Um, the other thing that might hold the Suns back is their low free-throw rate. So they are 29th in the NBA in free-throw rate. Um, the Bucks and Clippers, funnily enough, are similarly low. They're in that bottom, you know, five or six teams as well. Um, but the Suns just don't get to the free throw line a lot. And that could come into play in a playoff series. That could come into play if shots aren't falling. Um, and, you know, we, we've seen them get frustrated with foul calls and the lack of foul calls. And some of that is real. And some of that is just they're a team that doesn't get to the free throw line a lot. And they need to be better in that regard, especially in a playoff series, um, if they want to have success. On a related note, the third obstacle here, uh, they have a really low percentage of their field goal attempts coming from around the basket. 
Um, so there's something like 28th or 29th in the percentage of field goal attempts that they attempt around the rim. They're dead last in field goal attempts from less than five feet. Uh, they're 30th in field goal attempts from less than 10 feet and 29th in frequency, according to NBA.com. So those are related. The Suns can't get to the foul line because they don't take a high percentage of their shots around the basket. And that's fine if you're a very good three-point shooting team, especially a team that has two mid-range guys who are incredible from that area of the floor like Devin Booker and Chris Paul. But if those threes aren't falling and if Booker's having an off night or CP3's having an off night and those mid-range looks aren't falling, then you get into a real problem where you're not generating generating points from anywhere because you can't get to the basket, you can't get to the foul line, and your jumpers aren't falling either. So we've seen this happen a couple of times this season usually in losses. And that's why there's a big disparity between the Suns, you know, three point percentage in wins and three point percentage in losses. They're pretty closely related. I'm not going to say they're directly related, but they are pretty closely related and it's something to keep an eye on uh, moving forward. And then the last thing, obvious lack of playoff experience, you know, we've talked about this before, so we're not going to go into too much detail, but Devin Booker, Mikhail Bridges, Deandre Ayton, Cam Johnson, uh, and Javon Carter have never played in a playoff game before. That kind of matters, as does the fact that Cameron Payne and Sharich have only been there once or twice, and they've only played like 10 or 11 games in the postseason for their careers. None of these guys have ever been on deep playoff runs except for Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, um, and that kind of matters. Uh, and Torrey Craig as well. But it does matter that like five or six of their top eight or nine players in a playoff rotation don't have a lot of playoff experience. That could matter, especially against some of these teams if they're at full strength. Even with all the experience they have in late game situations this season, that could come to matter. Um, hopefully it doesn't. Just hopefully the Suns aren't deterred by the moment and we see big time plays from Booker and Aiton and Bridges and Cam Johnson like we've seen all season but I do think in a playoff environment it matters a little bit more um, so that's something to keep an eye on overall I'm optimistic I think this Suns team is really really good and this is the best shot they've had at a title obviously in a very long time um, and it, that's exciting that their return to the postseason is also it goes hand in hand with you know title hopes but we'll see what happens um, I think that's going to do it for Suns Talk today. Now let's give a quick shout out to our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Danette May and Mindful Health LLC, featuring Danette May's top superfood product from her Earth Echo Foods line, Cacao Bliss. Nothing feels better than being able to enjoy rich, smooth, creamy chocolate and knowing you're doing something good for your body. They start with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its health benefits. Then they blend it with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, but it's friendly to paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian diets. For the last eight years, they've been a leader in the superfoods market, and they're proud to have served millions of customers worldwide. So we're offering up to 15% off when you use the code MINUTE15. Just go to earthechofoods.com slash minutemedia and enter the code MINUTE15. So that's M-I-N-U-T-E-1-5. All right, let's go into our G-rated segment now, which is on the Amazon Original Invincible. 
Um, and I don't blame you if you haven't heard of this show or if you haven't gotten around to watching it yet, because it kind of just came out of nowhere. Um, and honestly, I started watching it because I was looking for another Amazon show and it was like on the front page and it was new and it looked interesting. Um, it kind of looked like a comic book come to life. So I decided to give it a watch and holy shit, you guys, this is <laughs> like season one just wrapped up tonight, Thursday night. Um, there's only eight episodes. They're like 45 minutes each. So it's a relatively quick binge, but it is on. And I know I just said this a few weeks ago about um, snowfall, but it is honestly one of the best TV shows on television right now. Like it is so good. Um, it's dramatic. It's funny. It's well acted. Um, and it's an incredible story, honestly. So basically the premise is it's based on a comic book series that's written by um, Robert Kirkman, who you might be familiar with. He was also the guy who did The Walking Dead, um, the comics. And so he's he's done this other series, Invincible, that apparently like not makes fun of a lot of superhero tropes, but like wholeheartedly bashes them. Um, and kind of proves them to be silly and stupid. This is basically a superhero story. Um, it's about a guy named Mark Grayson. He's a teenager in high school and he finally gets his powers. His dad is Omni-Man, who is the Earth's most powerful being. Um, he's this, he's basically Superman. He's kind of like, you know, in the Justice League movies, what Batman fears Superman will be, just this unstoppable force that's what Omni-Man is and the world thinks he's a hero. Um, but really he's got a couple of dark secrets and skeletons in his closet that are, um, you know, unbeknownst to his family and the rest of the world. Uh, he's not the hero that he seems to be. He's from um, another planet basically. Uh, and he kind of pitches it as, you know, they sent one of us to every planet to watch over each planet and protect it. That's what we're, what we're called to do from this home planet of mine. Um, but the son finally gets his powers. He takes after his dad and he gets powers and he's trying to, he's struggling to kind of traverse life as a high school kid who wants a social life and a love life and um, to just kind of fit in with you know his whole family dynamic because him and his dad are not particularly close it's kind of it's a, it's a strained relationship there because his dad has been waiting this whole time for him to get powers basically um and now he's finally trying to connect with his dad and excited about it because he can be a superhero and he can be just like his dad um and so it's about him trying to fit in but also become the superhero and what sets this show apart is not just its animation style, because it is very, the animation is really cool. It, it kind of looks like a living comic book, um, but it's also just how brutal it is because it's, it's very graphic. I mean, obviously it's animated, but it's very graphic as far as the blood and the violence is concerned. Um, all you have to do is watch episode one and you'll get to the end of episode one and you'll watch the last two to five minutes of it and your jaw will hit the floor and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about when you watch it because the, the switch just flips in a fucking heartbeat. Um, 
and it's incredible. It's really well done. Um, but you know, after that finale, the finale was absolutely brutal. Like every, every episode, the series opens with them cutting to his name invincible in some kind of corny way. And then like blood splatters on the name to kind of, you know, suggest that this comes with the territory of being a superhero. And before the season finale tonight, um, there was just a whole gunk of it that came on the screen. And I was like, oh boy, that doesn't bode well. And it did not bode well. It honestly undersold it because there was, it was just a brutal finale. Um, incredibly graphic, very dark, very affecting. Um, I'm not going to spoil anything because this is coming out on Friday. So it's only been out for a few hours, but uh, what a show. And I feel like it's getting better and better by the episode. The soundtrack is great. There's, there's quite a few bangers that are playing when all of these superhero montages are going on, but it, it is not afraid to depict the loss of life and the casualties that come with, um, you know, this superhero territory. Um, you know, these, these people with these extraordinary abilities are trying to save lives and whatnot, but a lot of times they can't save everybody and they're failing and a lot of people are dying with these cosmic conflicts, all these aliens and other super beings that are coming into play. And a lot of the superheroes get their ass kicked in this as well. Um, so it, it's, it's very interesting. It's a very interesting take on the genre. It's more realistic. I feel like it's, uh, it kind of reminds me of the boys a little bit in that way that it's taking a, an unflinching look at some of these tropes and how silly they would be in real life, even if this is an animated show, obviously, um, and based on, you know, these beings that can fly and all these aliens and all kinds of shit like that. But it is very grounded in the reality of this universe that people are going to get hurt. Um, and it, it has a very good story. It just keeps surprising you with different twists and turns and um, wrinkles to add in. Uh, I love shows that are good at managing character motivations and pitting them against each other. And this is another show that's really good at that. Um, but yeah, it, it's just a very unique show and it has a really great voice acting cast. Um, Mark Grayson, AKA Invincible is voiced by Steven Yoon, who is, you would know him from also The Walking Dead and uh, Minari. He's fantastic as Grayson. Um, his dad is played by J.K. Simmons, who is phenomenal he is terrifying in this and he does a really good job of of conveying that that uh you know nice guy routine but with this subtle underlying anger and dangerousness to him um and then the love interest zazie beats she is great you'll remember her from uh deadpool 2 she played domino and she was also in the joker um sandra O oh plays mark's mom uh walter goggins from justified he plays uh, Cecil, who is kind of this government guy whose job it is to keep these heroes in check and, and manage them and deploy them on these missions. Um, Jason Mantzoukas, who is there for, you know, comic relief. His voice always brings comic relief. Um, Zachary Quinto is in it as well as this creepy robot. Like there's all kinds of just really good voice actors in this. A lot of great characters. Um a lot of funny dialogue and situations and then it just flips the switch and gets really intense really quick um 
And, and honestly, like I said, I feel like the last four or five episodes, each one just got better and better and better. And the stakes feel very real for a show that's only been around for eight episodes. All of these, you know, unless you've read the comics, these are all totally new characters, new story, new everything. So it is really cool how engaging it is and how much it sucked me in in just the first couple episodes alone. Um, so very good show. I was honestly, for my G rating, I was honestly going to give this an 8.5, but after that finale, I got to bump it up to a nine. Um, and just as an indicator of how good this show actually is, uh, Amazon has already renewed it for season two and season three. So it's already gotten renewed for two seasons before the finale even dropped. Um, and obviously it probably has a, a great deal of original material to draw from, from the comics, but uh, that's a really good sign. And, and I feel like they are really finding their stride with this show. So if you haven't checked out Invincible, it's only eight episodes. Uh, it's an animated show, but it's really well done. It is an adult show, um, obviously, you know, cursing and violence and whatnot, but um, it's very good and it's, it's very dark, but it's, uh, it's one of the better shows on TV right now for sure. Um, that's going to do it for this episode. Next up, we're going to talk about uh, Shadow and Bone, which is the new Netflix series. Um, also only eight episodes, but it's based on, you know, this fantasy novel or series of fantasy novels, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but we'll be talking about that for Monday's episode, as well as the latest with the Suns. If you're enjoying this podcast, like I said, thank you everyone who's been listening and supporting since I first got on this beat. If you could write me a five-star review, um, I would really appreciate it. I've been doing this pod for a couple months now, and I would love to get some more reviews from you guys, hear what you think about the show. But thank you everyone for tuning in. Until next time, this is Gerald Bourget signing off.